what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. travelers and welcome once again to the before and after show as always i'm your co-host mj smith i am your other co-host ryan buell ryan good to see you sir good to see you good looking ma'am how was your week my week was very good very uh uh last week was really crazy for me Mm. but uh yeah doing pretty good good uh have you been watching anything i have yes uh just today i watched uh, hunt for the wilder people how was that it was amazing Man, i really want to see it it uh it's really really funny sam neil i can't, I can't remember the name of the kid hmm. um i think he's a brand new brand new kid actor yeah but it's it's a really really funny movie but it's got heart yeah you know basically basic premise uh young boy is dropped off in New Zealand, at like a farm in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Sam Neill is a surrogate father figure, but he's just a kind of a grumpy old man, wants nothing to do with the kid. Uh, won't spoil anything else, but they end up on this crazy adventure together and kind of bonding over that and kind of both finding friendship friendship with each other and lots of crazy shenanigans and, uh, and uh, fun ensue. It um, looks kind of like a Wes Anderson movie. It's kind of got that feel. It's quirky. It's yeah. definitely quirky. It's it's the type of humor I really gravitate towards, which okay. is that weird kind of quick shot, um, hot fuzz okay. style of humor. Yeah, yeah, you, know? yeah. you kind of have to, you have to really pay attention, otherwise you're going to miss the humor. Um, no, yeah, well, I loved it. I, anything else I've been watching? That's all I got. Okay. Uh, I had a bit of a week. Um, I watched a lot. And now I can't remember all of it. Um, did you watch any horror movies? I did. I watched quite a bit of horror movies this weekend. Uh, my wife was sick, and when she gets sick, all she wants to do is watch Spooky Times movies. Also, it's Halloween times, mm-hmm. and we both are fans of the genre as it is. So it wasn't like pulling teeth. Uh, it was it was quite easy. Also, we got free rentals of horror movies from T-Mobile Tuesday. So mm. um, good way to go. Yep. So we watched. Uh, we did the strangest double feature I think I've ever done, which was Little Shop of Horrors. Back to back with A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. Now, refresh my memory. Little Shop of Horrors. Mm-hmm. That's got Rick Moranis. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a thriller, killer, thriller? It's a thriller. Uh-huh. It's a trilogy. A killer plant. Yes. That he raises in his little shop. Yes. And he feeds people to it? Yes. That's about as much as I know. Uh, it's a musical. That I did not know. Yep. Uh, it's a musical. And yeah, it's about this guy who is a botanist and he works in this little flower shop and they don't do very good business. And he ends up finding this kind of exotic plant that he recognizes as a flytrap, but isn't sure what kind. He's never seen this kind of flytrap before and then finds out that uh, it doesn't live off just flies, but human blood. Mm. 
and it turns out that the it, it the plant is a creature from outer space that got sent to Earth to take us over during a solar eclipse. Okay. Yep. Also, it's a musical. Huh. Yep. Do tell. It's great. I love this movie. I saw this movie for the first time when I was taking one of the worst classes I've ever taken, my film class, mm. which uh, which I've talked about on this show before. And we watched it as an example of musical, which, thank goodness, it's actually an example of musical because the teacher didn't have the best taste in choosing examples. Mm. So uh, I'll just say we watched Citizen Kane as an example of film noir. What? Yeah. Nope. It's a biopic. It's a biopic. Yeah. Not a film noir. Film noirs are detective stories and have narration. Citizen Kane has neither of those. Um, anyway, anyway so she, good so thing she introduced yeah, you to that. So yeah, she introduced us to Little Shop of Horrors, and I was like, "Oh man, this movie's great and it's super hokey and cheeseball, but in a real charming way." Okay. Um, I kind of consider it like a less extreme version of Rocky Horror because okay. I feel like Rocky. I've never seen Rocky Horror, but I don't really have a desire to because I feel like it's a little too extreme for me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is kind of the PG version of Little Shot or of Rocky Horror. Okay. Um, but it's like kind of schlocky the way Rocky Horror is, and like kind of dumb and silly and goofy, but it kind of knows it and okay. like kind of looks bad, but on purpose. And um, okay. like the the plant, the plant is voiced by one of the four tops. So it's this, like, <laughs> black jazz man type of, like, plant. Hmm. Uh, and it's great. Uh, Steve Martin is incredible in this movie. He's in it? He plays the abusive boyfriend of the love interest for Rick Moranis. Uh, and the first victim of the plant. And okay. it, he's so great. He plays a dentist who's a, a sadist. He enjoys inflicting pain on people. Uh. So he becomes a dentist. Like he. Ah. <laughs> yep. Um, and he's so ridiculous and great. He's this. Uh, he's like a, an Elvis caricature uh-huh. in it. And he's. Oh, man. It's perfect. It's, okay. it's so he's so great in it, and there's this great bit where uh, there's a few other cameos like John Candy shows up in it. Wow, oh, John Candy, I love that guy. Yeah, um, and then Bill Murray actually ends up playing a masochist who enjoys going to the dentist, but oh. it it upsets it upsets Steve Martin because he gets he he gets his pleasure from inflicting pain and them not liking it, but he hates when Bill Murray comes in because he does <laughs> like it. Oh, uh, it's so great. Oh. Oh, man. <laughs> and you're just like, why are these people in this movie? And it's because it was directed by Frank Oz. Oh, uh, okay. Yoda himself, but also Frank Oz, an accomplished puppeteer. So the puppet for Audrey 2, which is the, the plant, mm-hmm. is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, it's super good. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's hilarious. It's, oh man, I love that movie so much. And it's not like, it gets pretty dark, but it doesn't get like gory or like real gross. It's like a real light horror, okay. quote unquote. So not like I mean, blood flying everywhere. Yeah. Like, this is super got dark, like children are being fed to this thing. Nothing, yeah. Nothing quite like that. No, no, no. Because that's always the picture I had about the movie. No. I've never it's... seen it. It's an, I've never seen it all the way. Right, yeah, no, I mean, he does, like, he does, like, chop up a body at one point, but it's, like, you see the silhouette of him swinging the axe, but you don't see any of the body parts themselves, and, like, 
Yeah, stuff like that. It's real. It's a PG. Like it's a pretty square in a PG. Okay. Um, especially for a, a period of time when PG thirteen didn't exist, and your only options were like PG or R. Uh, yeah. It's very much on the PG side. Like okay. it's like Jaws is grosser than oh, okay. than Little Shop. Okay. But yeah, uh, and then we watched Nightmare on Elm Street, which I'd never seen not on TV, which means I've never seen it uh, uninterrupted by commercials. Mm. And one of the major things that gets... I, I like that movie quite a bit uh, based on... I've only seen it a couple times on TV, but I like it. I like the idea of it. I think it's got a really good horror movie premise because mm-hmm. he invades your dreams and, like, you're kind of helpless. And, like, I was like, man, that's, like... That's creative, man. Yeah. Like, that's a really good idea. You know, rather than just, like, you're in the middle of the woods and there's this giant guy with a hockey mask. It's like, no, this guy gets you, like, when you're the most vulnerable and also... During a period of time, you can't help. Like, you have to sleep. Yeah. And so, I really like the premise of it. But the thing that has always been lost on me is how well-paced this movie is. This mm. thing, is a, it's, a, it's a lean hour 31. Okay. And it works, man. This movie moves every scene from the get-go. Like, the, the movie starts in a nightmare with Freddy. Like, you see Freddy. Freddy's the first thing you see in this movie. Okay. And, which is kind of a weird choice, because usually they're like, you know, in a horror movie, you want to keep them. up to it. Yeah, but nope, immediately you see this guy, like, going after kids. But it adds this really good momentum to the whole thing, okay. where it feels like, oh, you kids got to get this taken care of quick, because you got to sleep. Yeah. Also, Johnny Depp's in it. Yeah, I heard about his famous bed-sucking blood coming out <laughs> yeah. of the sheet scene and, yeah. and all that. Now, as I've stated before, I don't like horror movies. Yes. And to me, Freddy Krueger is like one of the top, mm-hmm. you know, between him and Jason Voorhees and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So, in terms of like A, dark material, and B, gore, where does that movie lie um i mean there is the famous scene of all the blood shooting out of the bed and it's like it's gallons like it's it's a crazy amount um and then there's like there's like a couple scenes where he the thing is the the effects are very dated except for all the blood shooting out like that still looks amazing and i was but I tend to go more towards the technical side when I see stuff like that, where I'm like, how the F did they do that? Like, I still yeah. don't really know how they did, how they accomplished that. Yeah. Um, it's pretty, there's, there's a lot of blood, but there's not a lot of, like, gut stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the, you know, he's got knife finger hand things. So, like, people get slashed up and they bleed everywhere. Yeah. Like, uh, it's, but it's not... It's not like a gore hound dream either, you know, okay. like it's not every scene has something gory. It's not like a hostile or a saw okay. where it's like real extreme. It's I mean, it's very much an R rated horror movie, Yeah, but it's that one's more of like the sleepover R rated horror movie that you would put on to like, okay. oh, let's get freaked out by this movie because yeah. we're at a sleepover or whatever. Well, I know it was like a huge phenomenon. Like, yeah, and there's like, seven damn movies. Well, like kids loved it. And like, mm-hmm. I know they sold merchandise where they like, could buy the Freddy, Freddy, Freddy Krueger claw and the mask and yeah. all that stuff. And I never understood how. He became like what superheroes are today back then, because like I want to be Freddy Krueger. It's like, what? Yeah, I mean, how is that possible? uh, I think watching habits were a lot uh, more lax in '80s households because their parents were on cocaine, Um, Ah. and uh, (laughs) 
and didn't really care. Like the 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 eighties were a very like excessive time in America, okay. and so I think that just like kids saw stuff they shouldn't like. Mm. Terminator was real popular with kids too, you know. True. Um, and aliens and stuff, and so I think. I think that it is, there is something to be said about horror movies. We're kind of the superhero movies of... Of their day. Of the 80s, yeah. yeah. Um, especially because there weren't superhero movies. Like, those weren't a thing. Mm. Um, and also, it was just, it was this point where effects had gotten to a point where the gore stuff could look pretty real. Mm. Um, you know, we had gotten to a point in effects where we could figure that kind of stuff out. Yeah. Um, and yeah so i think that had a lot to do with it and also like i said i think the idea really captures the imagination Mm -hmm. that's that's always been my favorite thing about it is just the idea of like this guy who can get you in In your dreams dreams. like that's so crazy like yeah it's just really i don't know there's nothing quite like that idea out there and it's a an it's an original idea from wes craven like he just came up with that yeah um and i think that's cool and you know Wes Craven has always been on the verge of reinventing the horror genre. Um, he did it with Nightmare on Elm Street. He tried to do it again with Nightmare on Elm Street in Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which is... The plot of Wes Craven's New Nightmare is Wes Craven is making the movie A Nightmare on Elm Street, and then Freddy Krueger comes to the real world and starts terrorizing the cast and crew of the movie A Nightmare on Elm Street. So meta. Super meta. Yeah. And it's not, I've never seen it, but it's not particularly well regarded critically, mm. but I think a lot of people recognize the ambition in it. And the movie he made directly after that was Scream, which is also super meta, mm. but that one is actually like really good, like did really well critically. And so I think it was, he learned his lessons from New Nightmare and mm. applied them to Scream and was able to use them in a much more effective manner. Okay on that movie and so he's kind of like defined horror movies for two decades the 80s with nightmare on elm street and then the 90s with scream Mm. because i don't think there's a more popular 90s horror movie than scream and like that movie's pretty good (laughs) um so i you know i think just from the, the mind of that guy it has a lot of merit as far as like no one else was making that yeah unique ideas in a world where a lot of things are kind of cookie cutter Mm -hmm. Mm. yep um anyway we're gonna take a break and we're gonna head to myself and Corey tindall talking about sound design in this week's installment of the before and after show film school take it away me I'm here with Corey Tyndall. Hello, I'm Welcome back. To Corey. Uh, and when Corey's on the show, you know that it is time for the before and after show film school. Yay, let's go to school. Yep, but before we do that, uh, just before we hit record on this Skype conversation, I whipped up a batch of something called Switchel. 
Switchel. Yeah, so Switchel is a an old timey beverage. They kept marketing it as an old timey uh, energy drink or Gatorade. And what is in Switchel is water, molasses, apple cider <laughs> vinegar, and powdered ginger. Uh, that apple cider vinegar is going to be strong, man. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I, the, the biggest picture we have is not the size it recommends. <laughs> it's about four ounces short of how much water they recommend using. Oh, and I was kind of like four ounces can't be that much. <laughs> but as I'm sitting here staring at my glass of Switchel, which I have not tried yet, I was waiting to the podcast to try. Um, it's quite a bit darker than the video I watched. <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder if that four ounces did, in fact, make a difference. It might make the difference. It also said that you're supposed to use light molasses and we do not have light molasses in my home. Oh, wow. So I use not light molasses. So <laughs> I guess without further ado, also, I see ginger powder chunks in it already. Oh. Yep. So I'm going to go ahead and try <laughs> this and we'll see. So the backstory is uh, I really like beverages, just of all kinds. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to not drink soda. Yeah. But soda's delicious. So I I'm know, trying so to find alternatives. So maybe Switchel will be yep. the... We'll see. Let's see. All right, here goes. Ready? I get it. <laughs> All right. Not too bad. Honestly, it's a little too watery. Really? Yeah, I did put it in, gl in a glass of ice. Mm, I'm going to redo that. Yeah, I did put it... Yeah, I did put it in a glass of ice, but I'm wondering if that watered it down maybe a little too much. Maybe it's not bad. Um, the vinegar, like you can taste the appleness of it, but it doesn't really have a vinegar taste. That's good because yeah. apple cider vinegar is very strong. Yeah, I yeah yeah I can get behind this. So two thumbs up for Switchel. It's pretty good, man. Pretty Maybe good. I should and make it's only some. Got like three ingredients. Yeah. Maybe I'll try that out. I don't know. Yeah, you should. It's not. I'm I'm into it, but we're not here to talk about. <laughs> this is not old timey beverage podcast times. Yeah, this people is, are like, what's going on? Yeah, this is the before and after show film school. So uh, this is the before and after show film school. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize where my uh, cord was. Oh, man. <laughs> this is the before and after show film school. And uh, my happy face has been talking for the last four episodes of the before and after show film school as we made a mad dash through the end of the silent era, kind of the mm -hmm. end of the silent era and uh, timed racism. our what's that and racism <laughs> said, and racism and no. kind of just in, in an effort to time our birth of a nation episode so that it would be justifiable for us to have watched birth of a nation. Yes. Um, so without further ado, uh, I'm saying that a lot. So this time it's Corey's turn to teach, um, about an element of cinema or yeah. in this case, television, but also anytime you make something that is motion pictures with sound synced up to it. 
Um, mm-hmm. So go ahead and take it away, Corey. Yeah, so we've got an interesting episode today. I'm so uh, excited. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. So this actually, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while, but it actually fits in pretty well with where we're we're going. So we've just kind of finished the silent era, and we just kind of hit like, the silent era with motion picture, you know, with Birth of a Nation and all that stuff. And the next time you teach, I think you said you're going to talk about the jazz singer, right? Yes. Yeah. So like kind of the first talkies, which my lesson is going to fit nicely in between them. And we're going to talk about sound design in films. So just okay. like sound overall in the different movies or, you know, just stuff that we watch. Like, how does it work? How does it affect the stuff? And kind of get into, not too nitty-gritty, but just like a little bit uh, deeper maybe than most of us know. And, you know, we'll be able to appreciate these things a little bit more. Because, MJ, what is the goal of film school? To watch movies better. Yeah. And so this episode, we're going to shoot to listen to movies movie music movie sounds better i don't know something like that yeah but yeah um so sound is i have i have written here in my notes sound is an essential element to film so even in like the silent films we've looked at we're gonna look at talkie soon and like in full length motion pictures that we have nowadays Sound is very integral to the experience. Mm -hmm. So, MJ, I'm going to throw a question at you. Why is sound design important in films? Um, I mean, it is... It's kind of dependent on the genre of film, but I think that might be the best argument for sound design. You can really evoke a certain mood based on the sound design. And when I say sound design, I don't mean just the sound effects or just the score. I mean, both of those things, those things come together to evoke certain emotions and responses in you. Yes, I would totally agree with that. And I like what that you stated, because I was going to say that, but sound design is all encompassing. It's not just sound effects. It's background music. It's how it's mixed together. It's all those different things. All of that comprises sound design and film. And yeah, there, there's a way that sound is able to evoke emotions or bring tension or um, kind of emphasize or de-emphasize certain things, certain aspects in films where I feel like sound just plays this really important role to a film. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even sometimes when sound isn't like really meant to evoke those different things, it's still like playing a purpose. Like when you and I watch Little Annie Rooney. Oh, so frustrating. The, and the sound, you know, and that's a silent film. And the soundtrack was like weirdly off or, you know, people said like maybe the original score was lost and somebody put some other track on it. It was like really distracting at parts because yes. the sound just didn't fit what was going on, like, you know, on screen. And that didn't like ruin the movie, but it majorly detracted from some points. I know for me. So I agree. Yeah. So sound design is built up of a combination of three key elements, and those are the human voice, sound effects Mm -hmm. and music. So we're going to kind of like talk a little bit about all three of these, but we're mostly going to spend a lot of time talking about sound effects and music because I figured when we get to the jazz singer in a couple weeks, we're going to spend a lot of time on like the significance of the human voice and 
why that was a big deal. Yes. <clears throat> so, um, and before we jump into those like three elements, all sound in sound design and film scores and everything can either be categorized into one of two categories, and that is diegetic sound and non-diegetic sound. Would you like to venture a guess as to what those things mean? I have. So here's the thing. I am so not the sound theory, music theory, technical terms person. (laughs) I have a background in uh, mixing live audio, but as far as knowing that kind of stuff, I'm real dumb about it. That is okay. We're all here to learn together. So um, diegetic sound is sound that comes from the narrative or it comes from the story that we're watching on film. Oh, you know what? I actually knew this. Yeah, I was like, maybe he's heard of this before. So like, let's say we're watching a movie about like a musician or something and she walks into a room and she sits down and she's depressed and she starts playing like a song that's about like being sad or something. That's diegetic sound because the sound coming from the scene is filling the the film score. Okay. That's that's diegetic sound. Whereas non-diegetic sound is sound that we hear but we don't see its source on screen. So that would be something like a narrator voiceover or background uh, music. So even like a theme of like a character or something. That's mm-hmm. non-diegetic because we don't see the source of it. Yes, and you can have stuff transition in and out of being diegetic and non-diegetic. So if someone puts a record on and you hear it in the mix of the, quote, room that they're Mm -hmm. in, and then it transfers to, you know, coming through all the speakers and and very much underscoring uh, the, the scene, then it transfers from one of those things to the other. It's called source music. Mm hmm. Yes, exactly. There can be a lot of like interplay between like music can drift from one thing to another as in terms of being diegetic or non-diegetic. And a lot of the stuff we'll talk about today can be like multiple, uh, like they can fit into multiple categories. Yes. So within sound effects, um, sound effects usually come from objects we see within a film. Um, Sometimes they can come from outside of that. And the two categories um, from sound effects that we have are synchronous sounds and asynchronous sounds. So synchronous sounds um, are something, they're sound effects that like add to the realism of a scene. So maybe somebody is like really mad and they walk into a room and they slam the door and like the slamming of the door is that synchronous sound effect. Like it's something that's really like highlighted in uh, the scene. Like we hear it or maybe somebody is waking up and like an alarm clock goes off. Like we hear that sound effect. And so the, that again is a synchronous sound and it's something like important or relevant to the scene. Um, a lot of times synchronous sound can be used to transition a scene. So sometimes like, uh, like I said, something can happen and like that sound effect can be like a key point and like something happening within the scene. So maybe like the lights flicker on and off or, you know, somebody you hear somebody coming up the stairs and you like see it within the scene. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those can be like big things to help transition a scene. And so, like I mentioned, the other the opposite of synchronous sound is asynchronous sound. 
And these are sound effects that we don't see the source of, like, on screen. And a good example of this is, like, let's say we're watching a film that happens, like, in the city and people are fighting or whatever. And the the scene that we're seeing is, like, them fighting each other. And they say, oh, the cops are coming. We got to, like, get out of here. And you hear the cop sirens, but you never actually see the cop car show up. Okay. That would be that would be an asynchronous sound effect, but it does still help to contextually add to the world that we're in. So even though we don't see the cop car, we know that the cops are there and it like, you know, it's again reminds us, oh, we're in a city, you know, maybe it's like late at night and like we hear the the cop siren. So, asynchronous and synchronous sound effects. Um and I wanted to I wanted to do a little annotation about this because this could seriously this guy that i'm bringing up could be a whole film school lesson in himself (laughs) and i know who you probably know i'm talking about i'm sure i do okay so ben burt yeah (laughs) yeah homie oh i love ben burt so much if you guys don't know who he is if you have any interest in sound design or like sound mixing or I, even if you're just somebody who's really into movies and you're trying to learn about film history and film design, it's still worth your time to check him out. He is amazing in like some of the sounds he's created over his career. Um, there's there's a couple like kind of mini documentaries that you can find on YouTube about him and uh, some of the things that he does to get his sound effects are it's crazy. Stupid. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> it's like he. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't even know how he thinks up that stuff. Like that dude's brain operates on a completely different planet, man. Like there's a, the empire strikes back commentary mm -hmm. is George Lucas, Carrie Fisher. (laughs) Uh, I think, uh, Oh gosh, Irvin Kirshner and Ben Burt and (laughs) Ben Burt's is by far the most interesting part of that commentary and he's just like oh yeah for this sound i did this and it's just like the most random thing ever and you're like what how'd you even think about doing that yeah it's like crazy stuff it's like oh yeah i got these ship chains off of a decommissioned like freight liner and then i took it to like this gravel pit and i like drug the chains through the gravel pit like while like being pulled on the back of a moving car so i could get a variance in like the speed of the the dragging of the chains and and that's the sound of like you know this vehicle yeah. you know rolling along and you're like how the crap would you even like think of doing that <laughs> yeah yeah or it's like i heard some sea lions off in the distance and then i put a funnel up to my recorder and recorded those sea lions and that's the noise that chewbacca makes and you're like what it's like what where did you get those ideas like he's crazy uh he did all the sound effects on the star wars films so Mm -hmm. like that's a huge thing uh one of the films i considered teaching like for the lesson today that's such a really great example of just sound design in general like even sound effects and other stuff is Mm wally and that movie is amazing i still think it's in like the top three things that pixar has made like across the board this is my personal opinion but the sound design is fantastic like how he gets us to feel emotion and like develop character for wally and eva and like it's crazy i mean the first half of that movie is like a silent film Mm -hmm. and oh man it's so good 
Did Vin Bird do the sound? He did do the sound for that, right? Yeah, he did do the sound for that. Yeah, he's there's an extra on the special edition DVD that's like a little documentary about him doing the sound, and you're just like, what? Who is who? Let this crazy person make movies? Yeah, he has all the crazy ideas. Like he was like, we should use the old Apple startup noise for like Wally turning on. And yeah. People were like, what? And you know, it's there in the film. So I mean. He he's a genius. So definitely go check out Ben Burt. He's amazing. Um, we owe a lot of credit to him in sound design within films and sound effects. And so he's amazing. Yeah. What well, he's like one of my heroes, like straight up one of my favorite <laughs> people who's ever worked on movies. Yeah, he's he's just got a gift. Um, so moving on from sound effects. The other big thing that we're going to talk about today is like music. And so usually when I say sound design in films, this is immediately what people go to. So music within films, like you mentioned at the beginning, MJ, it can like, you know, conjure emotions or it can, you know, do things to add emphasis to a scene or uh, make us feel a certain way. Um, And I have written here in my notes, background music can be used to add emotion or rhythm or motion or pace to a scene. Um, and it can come from an item within the film. And so like we talked about earlier, um, there being non-diegetic and diegetic music. And so the example you mentioned, I think about like a record player, like somebody puts on like a record and we mm-hmm. hear sound coming from that. That can be that can be, you know, like diegetic as well as, you know, sometimes we'll just hear that theme like just fade into background music. So yes. it can kind of it can play multiple roles. And so some specific things within music are the idea of like a musical theme. And so musical themes can be associated with characters. They can be associated with ideas. They can uh, be linked to something to evoke like a presence of a character um, or again, the presence of an idea or something like that. I have some examples Um, In Star Wars, it's very clear. There's a lot of scenes where you meet a character and, like, they have their identifying theme. So let's say, like, Yoda or Luke or Leia or whatever. And there'll be some times when the characters, those specific characters aren't on screen. But, like, I'm thinking of the example of, like, Luke in Empire Strikes Back when he is when he calls out to Leia after he's like got his hand cut off and he's at the bottom of cloud city, you hear pieces of like Leia's theme, like interwoven with like the main, like force theme. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's very much like the idea of like reaching out to Leia, even though like we don't see her constantly on the screen, like the full time, you know, it cuts back between him and her, but it's that whole idea of it can like evoke something Another example I have on here is like Jurassic Park. It's a very like iconic theme, like this whole idea of like the park and the wonder, you know, that theme that like runs throughout the film. So themes are really important. They're usually the biggest memorable things that we remember of like a of a soundtrack. Um, But there is other facets of music that don't have to be themes that are still important to sound design. So another one within music is like pacing music. And so pacing music sets the tone um, or it sets the mood of a scene. So, for example, something like if there's a car chase, Mm -hmm. the music isn't meant to be memorable, but it's something that's probably going to 
hopefully be frantic or it's going to be high paced with energy to help the scene feel like it's moving along, you know, because it's a fast paced scene. It's a car chase. Or if there's some like high action sequence, there's usually going to be some sort of driving type score or like adrenaline filled music, even if it's not like a super memorable song. And that just that serves to just come along and like help the scene accomplish more of like what it's doing. And the third kind of one within music is mood music. And so mood music is music purposely written to evoke a certain mood um, or like a certain way that we're supposed to feel. So you can think of like, you know, any any major movie where like a character dies or something. There's usually some climactic kind of melancholy like lament that plays when that character dies. Or maybe you think of some movie where they're able to accomplish like the big goal or something. There's like celebration music or there's like music that kind of, you know, like paves the way for like, we did it, we conquered it, we accomplished our goal. Like music, music that kind of underscores like how we're supposed to be feeling as the audience. Yeah. And so to kind of wrap up the section on music, all music that we listen to that's within film kind of revolves around these two pairs of ideas. And that is like the whole idea of like harmony and dissonance within music Mm. and tension and release in music. Um, I had a couple professors when I was in college taking some music classes who said, all music, you know, whether it's like film music or whether it's like a top 40 that you hear on the radio or whatever, like all music is comprised of tension and release. It's all about you're building tension within your song and then like you're releasing it at specific points, you know, whether that be like through like, oh, a verse that kind of starts really slow and then it builds up to a pre-chorus and you build all that energy and then like the tension is released in like a chorus and it just feels like really satisfying. You get that satisfying like, hook and like the repeated stuff or the same way like a film can do that too you know it builds to the climax as the film like itself in the storytelling is building to like a certain climax or a certain emotion or scene it's trying to show you the music is doing that too all with the different tension and release that it's you know working through harmony and dissonance to build so those kind of those kind of elements encompass what sound design is about. Um, MJ, do you have any thoughts or questions or anything before we talk about what we're going to watch for this week? Yeah. Um, a couple. One, I noticed that most of your music examples came from one guy. Uh, yes. Being John Williams. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and two, uh, the the chase stuff you were talking about. Yes. Um Hang on one second. Um, there we go. The Chase stuff you were talking about. I do not like this man as a composer. <laughs> I really don't like Hans Zimmer at yeah. all as a composer. I think he's bad. Um, but in Inception, that Chase Through the Streets of Mombasa, one mm-hmm. of the best Chase songs. And I know the... The song that is identified with Inception is the one that has the like bomb sound. Yeah. But that that the Mombasa chase is so good. And it's such a it's a really good song. But it's really like 
it's really intense and really good. And if you listen to it while you're working out, or even if like, even if I listen to it when I'm writing, I get like a little on edge by yeah. that song. Like, <laughs> I feel like something's after me. And uh, I think that's kind of the best, the best music, because I think it is serving a utility, but it's not just a utilitarian piece of music the way I actually think a lot of Hans Zimmer's scores are, is they, yeah. they don't really work outside of the context of the motion picture, but I think that one does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, you know, you can make an argument about, like, whether or not, like, what's music's role within film? Um, uh, I tend to be more of the person where I think music should support a film, but... Um, I do think like music does play like an important role in film and it should be allowed to breathe sometime. Like, um, like that thing that, what is, what is it? What's that channel that did that video recently about the Marvel cinematic universe? Oh and all their- yeah. Every frame of painting, Tony, Tony Zhao. Yeah. It's, yeah. that's a really good video. You guys should go check it out. They, he talks a lot about kind of Marvel's like Achilles heel when it comes to film and sound design, but I think music. Yeah, well, that's indicative of a bigger problem of like temp music. Yeah, yeah. That's like but... that's like that's a whole different episode of film school, I think. Yes, yes. But I think I'm more in the camp of, I think, you know, music should support a film, but it can also, like, it can also speak. It can it can be part of the film in the way of like, you know, it can fill the role of dialogue sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't you don't have to have nonstop dialogue sometimes. And along with like how some directors are better at like showing than telling, you know, it's like they don't have to tell us stuff. I think music comes along in that spot too, and it can be there. But a lot of times people just want to regulate, like relegate it to, Oh, it's just background noise or it's filler noise. And that's why I think some of the best scores, you know, even outside of the really memorable themes, it's because, a lot of those movies gave music room to breathe in their movies and they counted it as important. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, music has been driving movies far longer than voice or sound effects have been. Yeah. Um, you know, we, that was all we had to drive a movie forward in terms of audio for decades. Yep. And I'm not saying it's the most important thing, but I still think it's a very important factor. And so, um, I, I just, and it's not always the case, but I find like I enjoy movies a lot more when like music has more of a si- prominent, significant role in it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So those are, those are kind of like my thoughts about music and sound design. And so all the stuff that we learned today, we're going to apply to what we're going to watch this week. And is... <clears throat> Stranger Things. Yes. I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm so, so... excited. <laughs> Um, so I, you know, I'm sure hopefully most of you guys have seen Stranger Things, but I recently rewatched it again this past weekend. My wife has not been feeling the best, so she's kind of just been hanging out over the weekend trying to get better. And so I finally convinced her to watch Stranger Things and I had this lesson in mind as I was watching it. And Stranger Things is like, I, it, it's an amazing piece of cinema in like a number of ways but its sound design is phenomenal and so watching through it just like a couple days ago is like oh this would be perfect um to highlight a lot of the stuff that we're talking about 
And so we're not going to make you watch the whole series. But you're um, gonna after you watch the first episode. Yeah. Or even if you've seen it, you'll probably want to rewatch it again. But Stranger Things does such a good job of um, just all these different elements that we talked about, like uh, human voice, sound effects, and music in general. It does such a good job of balancing those and giving all of them like prominence in its filmmaking. Um, it's just it just works so well. And so there's a lot of examples of all the things we talked about, good background music, good diegetic, good non-diegetic music. There's lots of great sound effects. There's a lot of watching this again. I was just like, how did they get that sound effect? There's really good, there's really good sound effects. There's a lot of really good, like um, transition, like synchronous and asynchronous. Excuse me. There's a lot of really good synchronous and asynchronous sound effects that like transition scenes. I mean, there's some I can think about like off the top of my head. There's like, you know, they'll be playing the song on a cassette tape and like he'll like hit pause or play on the cassette or like a record player and like mm-hmm. that shifts part of the scene or a door closes or something clicks or a light turns on. There's lots of really good sound design choices. And then even going to like the score and the iconic theme like the opening theme is really well integrated into the movie i mean it's like an awesome title theme but like throughout the course of like the show the mini movie whatever it is really well uh just like woven throughout it just with like different variations for like um the mood that's trying to be established in the scenes there's lots of scenes where just the music takes over and kind of speaks to what the scene is talking about. Nobody really says words. Again, it's more showing than telling. And along with that, the music is able to come alongside and help it. So I just felt like this is Stranger Things is like a really good recent example of like how music doesn't have to be relegated to like just background noise like that we just filter out. It can be a part of the story, but like not get in the way. It's never distracting. And yeah. that's what I love about it. It finds like a perfect, it finds its niche and it just nails it. So that's why I was like, we, I, we, we got to do stranger things. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know. We're a little bit running out of time, but film crit Hulk wrote this really good article about star Wars, the force awakens um, mm-hmm. and how it doesn't, it, isn't really a star Wars movie. It just feels like one. Um, (laughs) And, and uh, the idea is that he, JJ took it, went in and he nailed the verve and the, like the affectation. Like it's almost like a kind of boring movie with a really charming accent. He, so he, he, he aped the, just the energy of Star Wars in The Force Awakens, but not much else, even though he basically remade Star Wars. And I think a little bit, but in, in a, he was framing it as a criticism of the movie. I think in the same way, Stranger Things is the positive, like it's the flip side of that coin. It's the positive version of it. They basically remade the Goonies and Jaws and E.T. and and Close Encounters and and and, and, and <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you know, but it still has its own singular voice. Exactly. It's still, it's, yeah. It, it still feels like something current and fresh and new. It just has taken 
all these different influences. And so the the argument, the big argument surrounding Stranger Things is that inspiration is greater than adaptation. And inspiration here, the music is straight out of John Carpenter. Um, like by a march, almost almost wholesale in some sequences in the show. And but it's not it's not a ripoff aside from the homages that they pay to it, but it's, yeah. it's very much that synthy style that John Carpenter uses in his movies, like a Halloween or the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, although the thing had an Morricone music, not John Carpenter music, but, um, or even, and this isn't John Carpenter, but, uh, we just watched nightmare on Elm street this last weekend. And Wes Craven uses a very like synth heavy soundtrack. And that's like an iconic mm-hmm. thing. And then, certain certain beats pulsate like the like the jaws theme right before the main monster shows up and then on top of that like you were saying the sound design of the cassette tapes and the record players and stuff it all feels very tactile like it's got that really good like plastic on plastic clicking noise and they go out of their way to like throw it in there you know and it, it it's it's meant to be heard yeah, it's like it's when it when those items come up in the scene, like, you know, they're not mixed down. You right. hear them. Yeah. Right. And then like the I think it's the last episode. It might be the second to last episode has some great sound design in the house when they're uh, yeah. spoilers for Stranger Things when they're in the house. Don't do it. Catch, what? What? I said, don't do it. Uh, when they're trying to catch the Demogorgon. <laughs> in the house towards the well, that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole series I mean, yeah steve is awesome in that scene but yeah. a lot of that sound design of just yeah you know trying to pull the monster out of where he's from and like trying to capture him and stuff is really really well done yeah a lot of the the upside down sign sound design is like incredible and yeah there's <clears throat> there's just lots of really good stuff in it so Anyway, I'm just going to watch the first episode for film school. I'm sure you'll watch it and be like, I have to watch the whole series. Yes. Um, but Especially we'll just watch if you the first. It. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. But we'll watch the first episode and be on the lookout for all these different things that we talked about. Um, and like I mentioned before, a lot of these things can double. So there'll be mm-hmm. like different themes that might like serve like oh, this is kind of the theme for this character, but it's diegetic music, and I heard it on, like, a record player, and then I heard it later someplace else, or, you know, I saw it show up in this scene. So there'll be lots of crossover, but I think it will be a really fun exercise for those of you guys, like, listening and following along with us. It'll just It's a really cool way to, like, watch a film, just in another way where it's, like, really, like, keen in on, like, what is going on specifically with all the sounds and the music in a film. Yeah, I agree. And then one last little point, if you want a, a really good example of how sound can be used differently and in kind of this very fluid way, there's an article on nofilmschool.com um, called cutting on sound, learn from the transitions of Lawrence of Arabia director, David Lean. And it's this article about the sound design of David Lean's uh, scene transitions and how he often edited on sound. There's a, a, there's a small article. And then at the end, there's a, like a 16 minute. Oh no, it's an eight minute, eight minute and 20 second video essay that shows how David Lean, not just in Lawrence of Arabia, but in throughout his career used sound as key edit points for his movies rather than, 
just the visuals. Mm hmm. It's really That's it's interesting. Really good. <laughs> I will have to check that out. Yeah, I will link to it on the post on that real perspective dot blogspot dot com um, for this episode. So you guys should check it out. Yeah, sweet. Awesome. Well, I think I think that's uh, that's everything for this episode, right, MJ? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, we're going to take a short break, and Ryan Buell and I will be right back to talk about Drac Reacher, Keep the Punches Coming, or whatever it's called. I hope you enjoyed that installment of the Before and After Show Film School. Go watch episode one of Stranger Things, and I'm sure you will watch the rest of it, because it's amazing. And yeah, we're here to talk about Jack Reacher. I gotta look up the title. Jack Reacher 2, Never Back Down? (laughs) Nope. Jack Reacher, Tom Cruise, Punches More Things, Part 2? Nope. Uh, (laughs) I've said so many joke titles that I don't... (laughs) Jack Reacher, Never Go Back is the name of it. Never Go Back. Yep. Uh, So Jack Reacher, Never Go Back is the follow-up to Jack Reacher. uh, Just Jack Reacher, no subtitle. And it follows the exploits of a military detective who is kind of a mercenary for the government. Like, they, he's the guy they call when they have too much on their plate. Like, when, when there's, when there's too much, when the problem is too big, you call Jack Reacher. And then he comes in and saves the day. By punching um, things. But also punches a lot of things. (laughs) So, have you seen the first Jack Reacher? I did. It was on Netflix, actually. It was just on a lark. Okay. I uh, watched it. It was a lot of fun. Okay, so you liked the first one. I did like the first one. I mean, um... I, I the action was a lot better than the whole the um, detective side of things, like him mm-hmm. figuring things out. I just enjoyed watching him punch things and kind mm-hmm. of that that brutal action hero that he hasn't played in a long time. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, Mission Impossible, but this more so. Mission Impossible is more about kind of the spy and kind of puzzly things. Mm-hmm. Like Jack Reacher was just like the Liam Nielsen like guy taking justice to the streets and trying to figure things out. Um, but I liked it. I liked the reunion between him and Robert Duvall because mm-hmm. uh, they were in a movie, the racing movie, Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder. I was gonna say Hot Thunder. Oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you do. Um, Never mind. <laughs> um, but no, I really liked the first one, and this one looks. That was going to be good. Have you seen the first one? I have seen the first one. I hate the first one. You hate the first one. I really one. don't like that movie. I had heard from a lot of people that it was really good. Uh-huh. And uh, I watched it on Netflix uh, one, one lazy Saturday afternoon. And I was like, this is boring. Uh-huh. I thought it was really boring. I thought there were a couple good moments. The car chase is decent. The opening scene with the sniper is mm-hmm. really good. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Captain Str- Boomerang. Oh, yeah! Same, same actor. Uh, Jai Courtney. Yeah. Ugh. Um, I don't <laughs> like that guy. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I didn't really like the first one. Christopher McQuarrie wrote and directed it. He is responsible, most famous for The Usual Suspects, uh, mm-hmm. which is a good movie. Um, it's a really good movie. Uh, directed by Brian Singer. It's a movie that made people think Brian Singer was a good director. And <laughs> until recently, but yeah, yes. go ahead. Uh, for about 20 years, he was riding the goodwill of usual suspects when everyone was like, 
oh hey those x-men movies kind of suck don't they <laughs> um shh it's a good it's a secret and then so this was one of his first movies that he directed i think if not his first feature film and he ended up taking up the mantle of the Mission Impossible series. Mm. And so he directed Jack Reacher and then directed, uh, oh, what was the most recent one? Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Oh. And Is that I'm, because of Tom Cruise? I think so. Tom Cruise, I've noticed, kind of handpicks who gets mm-hmm. to work on his, which kind of makes him a little bit of a douchebag, in my opinion. Really? Like, yeah, well... I don't know, just kind of the, that's the persona I've always kind of heard about him, is like, this kind of high and mighty, like, I am an actor, and I have no stuff. Or, oh, that's weird, I've know. heard the exact opposite, I've heard he's like one of the nicest guys in Hollywood, like, oh. he's just like super chill, and like, there's a several stories of him getting mobbed by people with autogra- wanting autographs, and like, his security trying to take him away, and him looking at the security and being like, no, these people want to talk to me, like, I'm huh. staying until all these people get to talk to me (laughs) i may have been misinformed that was uh, a false perception yeah um so i hated jack reacher i really liked mission impossible rogue nation i think it might be my favorite mission impossible movie i really like that movie i don't know if you have you seen it i've seen it yeah um we did it on the show and i really i think the first two-thirds of that movie is just like a perfect action movie in the second the second act and especially is really good all the there's that scene in the opera that's great yeah um that was a decent scene yeah, yeah and then that motorcycle chase i thought was really good like the, i don't know i really liked that movie a lot and so i was kind of hoping jack reacher 2 would have macquarie back in the director seat but it's got edwards wick Mm-hmm. who is not an action director. He has directed a lot of dramas most recently, the very much maligned uh, Bobby Fischer biopic Pawn Sacrifice, starring Tobey Maguire. Mm. Um, Bobby Fischer, the chess uh, yeah. guru. He, uh, chess grandmaster, I guess. Um, the world of chess has the same uh, ranking system as the KKK. Um <laughs> coincidence maybe it is about black versus white um oh snap (laughs) no that's a joke also it's different ranking systems are called grand wizard than the kkk by the way (laughs) um anyway so people hated that movie and uh edward zwick is kind of a boring guy i've listened to him on a podcast and he's not particularly compelling Mm. and uh all that to be said the new trailer for Jack Reacher Never Go Back is really good. And it looks like it realized, they realized that all the punching parts are the parts that worked mm-hmm. in Jack Reacher 1. And all the talking parts were not. So it looks like the punching to talking ratio is very heavily skewed in, towards the punching yeah. aspect of it. And I couldn't be more excited. Yeah. Um, so with this new one coming out, it's got, I've heard it's got a John Wick vibe and that is enough to sell me. So, um, so what do you think about this, this new one coming out? I think it looks fun. Uh, I think it'll be just, it'll be John. I don't think it'll be as cool Mm -hmm. as John Wick because that's a very unique world that they set up in that particular universe, the kind of world of assassins and, you know, that mythology they kind of built up. Uh, I think it'll be jack uh reacher is much more grounded in in movie reality if that makes sense okay yeah where shooting a car will make it blow up as opposed right. to real life 
Um, I think it'll fit that. Uh, and I think it, I think it'll be a fun movie, which I think is a rare, sadly a rare thing I can say nowadays with a lot of movies I've seen. It's what I expected out of Magnificent Seven and did not really get. Yeah, I, I wanted that movie to be fun and amazing, but yeah, yeah. I, won't, I won't go into that uh, that uh, rant again. But I think this one will be fun. I think the plot, it'll tell you, it'll tell me the direction his fist is going, and that's yeah. about all I expect it to do. Yes. Um, yeah. I think that action movies are great. They're one of my favorite forms of uh, movie. And I think we are seeing this really good action renaissance lately um, Mm. with John Wick and The Raid. I know people love. I'm not super into it. Um, Tony Jaw and Ong Bak and his whole thing. Mm. He's great. Um... Oh gosh, there's a few other ones that I'm, uh, I would argue even the 21, 22 Jump Street movies are really solid action pictures. Those are actually pretty fun. Um, and on top of being hilarious and, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of really good action movies and I think the kind of the, the brass ring, there we go. The brass ring for these action franchises to be changed. Oh, Mission Impossible, I think, have gotten better with each movie, which is surprising, except mm. maybe two. Um, mm. But I think the brass ring right now is, hands down, the Fast and Furious movies. Mm. Um, those movies make a ton of money! And they're really good. And I challenge you that if you just rolled your eyes and dismissed it, and I ask you this next question, if your answer is no, you don't get to have an opinion. Have you seen the movies? The answer is no, then I don't care. Because they're really solid. Um, I understand. Everything about them screams that you should not watch them. (laughs) I totally get the way those movies look. But... If you take the time and you really start watching them, you'll get it. One, you'll get invested in the characters and maybe it's Stockholm Syndrome because there's seven of these freaking things now. (laughs) And so you're like, well, 14 hours of my life has gone to these people. I guess I should care about them. But I don't think it's that. I think that the the characters are very likable and they're very relatable in those movies. But also, as those movies have gone on, they've gotten better and better, except for a quite a dip in quality between uh, 1 and 2, and then an even bigger dip in quality between 2 and 3. From So 1, 4, 5, 6, and 7 are all really solid movies. Mm-hmm. And four or 5 is like, that is a perfect action movie. I think it's one of the I think it, it could be diehard for a generation of action filmmakers. Hmm. Um, and so I think that those movies have sparked this other competition in other action movies to kind of go for that tone. And I re- my favorite thing about those movies is the tone. And I think that this movie has kind of the tone of a Fast and Furious movie, mm. which is a little dumb, but kind of sweet at the same yeah. time. And like just really good. And, and the action is very well motivated. And I think, and, and, I think what sets Fast and Furious apart is the action is usually very well motivated, but it's very well executed, too. Mm. I think for a long time, um, because of Christopher Nolan and because of the Bourne movies, we got this very shaky cam style of action, which worked for maybe about four years. Yeah. And then people got really sick of because we didn't know where we were. Like The biggest complaint about Christopher Nolan as an action director is he doesn't really know the geography of a scene 
when he shoots an action sequence. Like, you never quite know where people are. It's even a problem in The Dark Knight, except for that tunnel sequence mm-hmm. in, in The Dark Knight, which is incredible. But, like, for the most part, you ha- you don't really know the layout. The, you don't really know the lay of the land in his action sequences. Mm. And I think in a Fast and Furious movie, you do. And I think the Mission Impossible movies have taken that up. And I think the John Wick has taken that up. You know, I think... Uh, and I think Jack Reacher is looking to follow in its footsteps. Mm. Um, so with that, all that to be said, at the heart of this movie is Tom Cruise. Now, yeah. I'm talking about Tom Cruise on the YouTube show this week. I love Tom Cruise. Um, we're talking Interview with a Vampire, and I gush about Tom Cruise so much on that episode that I will spare you that. <laughs> um, bottom line, I love Tom Cruise. I think he's one of the best actors working today, not because he uh, does particularly oscar worthy performances but because i think he works hard i think he learns his stuff i think he knows his stuff i think he shows up to set prepared and willing to work with the people he's collaborating with um and i think you can see that on screen but ryan what do you think about tom cruise for me everything i feel about tom cruise is summed up in my favorite tom cruise movie which is far and away okay i've never seen that one it's a old old movie i think not one of his first but super super old it was, I think that's where he met Nicole Kidman, his mm-hmm. first wife. Yep. Um, but his acting in that is just uh, phenomenal. Um, the way he portrays that character and also kind of the way he embodies kind of, in my mind, kind of some key things about Irish people. Hmm. Even though his accent, I'm sure <laughs> a lot of people will be like, that's a terrible, yeah. not legit accent. But he just played it truthfully. Mm-hmm. Which I think is his greatest strength. He plays it like real, mm-hmm. like like not fake. He acting. commits. He commits to it, and he commits to like not like the one guy who played Lincoln. What's his name? Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, that yeah. kind of insane. <laughs> yeah, method not, acting. not in a stupid way. <laughs> not that, but just uh, the word sincerity. Yeah, he just plays his characters very sincerely, and the character he played in Far and Away, he just played it very sincere. And I think that's what I I really love about uh, Tom Cruise and, and the movies. And like I I have yet to see him in a bad movie. Yeah. Um. I've seen some poor choices in movies, but he's always been good in the movie. It's mm-hmm. the movie itself may not work, but he's always been good. But he's just the sincerity that he kind of conveys and the intensity. Mm-hmm. I think he's got almost the same kind of intensity that I see in Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. Like I think Mel Gibson's got him by a, a few, like yeah. by a by a, a big chunk, but that intense way he can convey things like anger. You there's anger. Like he's not acting. He's he's literally angry. Yeah. Or sadness or whatever it is. Like he really just commits and goes for. It. And he's a phenomenal actor. I would be an idiot to say otherwise. Yeah. I to people who don't like Tom Cruise, I really honestly do not understand why you don't like him. Like I, I don't get it. The guy, he's got charisma for days. Uh, he had a little crazy period in the, in the, in the early two thousands. And I get that. Most actors do. Um, but I think on screen, like, you know, the, the story I talk about on the YouTube show is like, he had that crazy period in the mid two thousands, but you know what movie he was, promoting while he was doing that freaking collateral which he's amazing in yes he's that's a- another one incredible in that movie was that the first time he ever played a villain i think so i think so and he's great in it yeah. I mean, that's one of my favorite tom cruise performances ever i think that movie 
Um, but I what I, I think you 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 hit the nail on the head. His sincerity and his commitment. Whenever he's in a movie, he doesn't do it half-assed. Like he's mm-hmm. down no matter what that thing is. Mm-hmm. And so for a movie like Cocktail. That's him doing all that bartending with the flipping of the bottles and stuff. Like, they didn't use camera tricks or special effects for that. He learned how to flare. That's what it's, flare bartending is what that's called. He learned how to shoot pool. He learned how to fly a jet, and they weren't actually fly the people in the jets in Tom Gun. Um, He's so committed in a movie like Tropic Thunder, which is so, he's so ridiculous in that movie, but he's so funny in. He's so intense. Yeah, oh gosh, he's so freaking great in that movie. And then, you know, he's able to be in on his own joke in a movie like Night and Day, which Mm -hmm. is a movie you all need to see. It's one of my favorites. It's, he's so funny in that movie, and like... The amount of people... The best thing about that movie is that people didn't know that it was a joke. They didn't know... I. What part of the... I'm sorry. I, yeah, you oh lost yeah. me. There's, there's, no, there's nothing about it to me that reads like anything but a joke. Okay. But there's... There are people who were like, I don't know, man. It was just like a stereotypical Tom Cruise thing where he's perfect at everything all the time. And I was like, no, he's totally making fun of all that stuff about himself. Oh, that's... Yeah, that but went I know right pe- over my yeah, head. I know people who hated that movie because they thought it was like supposed to you were supposed to buy into it. Oh. I yeah. just thought it was a really sweet action comedy actually. I thought he's hilarious in that movie. I think he's super funny in it and he's still doing great work. He's almost 60 years old, man. Really? Yeah. Dang. Yeah, he's almost 60 years old and still does most of his own stunts and then he's still delivering like freaking Edge of Tomorrow is one of the best movies of 20 20- 13, 14, whatever That's year it came out. Science Fiction Groundhog's Day? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. an interesting movie. Oh, man, I love that movie. And it's because of him. Like, Tom Cruise works best when he's either amazing at everything mm-hmm. or kind of bad at something and then learns how to be amazing at it. Yeah. Um, And I think he's got this weird stigma around him, and I don't know why. Like, I don't understand it. I don't mm-hmm. get it. Um, but I I love the guy. I think I think he's... One of the best actors in Hollywood. I think he's the last true blue through and through movie star mm. that we have. Um, you know, he's he's such a high profile guy. He he's not on Twitter. He's not on Instagram. He doesn't have to do all this social media stuff. Like you yeah. know where Tom Cruise is. Yeah, you know what I mean. In like the theater coming to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you know exactly what his next project is. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate the heck out of that. Um. And he will get me to care about the dumbest stuff. The, uh, freaking Jack Reacher. I hated it. I yeah. hated the first one. Saw the trailer for that one. And I was like, man, Tom Cruise punching people. I'll be there. Like, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I'm I definitely going to see that. So I, there's just something magical about that guy. There's something magical about Tom Cruise. There really is, man. He's just he's just so compelling to watch. And I think he's the reason. He's definitely the reason a Jack Reacher sequel exists. Well, isn't, in his, isn't he in his religion like a 12th level warlock or something <laughs> like that? So that could possibly... I mean, that, there's a certain point. Like, if there's ever been a great argument for that religion, it's that guy. <laughs> Where it's like, well... <laughs> yeah, his, his chakras are definitely aligned. Yeah. I don't know what religion that's from, but... It's just like, that guy's doing something, right? <laughs> I feel like... I don't feel like you look that good at, like, 57 and still star in movies that make kind of a lot of money mm-hmm. at 57. Mm. Um, I don't think it's because of his religion. 
I'm probably going to end up watching freaking Jack Reacher 1 just to, before this movie to make sure it, I hate is it. Still on, is that still on Netflix? Um, I have, uh, it's on Amazon. Oh, okay. I so think. Watch it there. Yeah. Um, I have access to it through, I th- the person who's Amazon, I piggyback off of bought it. So it's in their video library. So nice. I'm probably going to watch it on that. But man... Yeah, so for Jack Reacher, don't stop punching things. I don't really have a lot to say because we haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Um, I just, I expect it to be pretty good, even though there's a lot of evidence that says that it shouldn't yeah. be. Well, the actress that's playing the opposite of him, I don't think she's a good actress. I don't know how she keeps getting into movies. Who is it? Uh, she played Marie. She plays Maria Hill in the Marvel movie. She was oh, in... Kobe Smulders. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she's a good small screen actor. I don't see why she, other than her her vast beauty, I do not see what makes her a good actress. I like Kobe Smulders, you, but yeah. I don't. I th- she's playing Jane to me, like just nothing. I like her, mm-hmm. but I think it's because I like her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like her as a person. Yeah. I she seems like chill. Yeah. You know? And so that's why. But yeah, I get it. Um she doesn't really embody the character she plays. Yeah. She's kinda one note. But I like her, so mm. I'm I'm willing to watch her. Um Yeah, there's not like like it's kind of like a mystery, but honestly, like you said, it doesn't really matter. As it's just gonna show me where his fist is pointing. Yeah. And like every oh man. He like punches a window out. Because the guy won't roll them. Yeah. Ugh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm I'm actually really excited for the movie. <laughs> I don't know um, if you can tell, but he's really excited. I'm yeah. excited to see it too. Yeah, I so I think it'll be I think it'll be a real good time. Um But it's not I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. I I I have a feeling on the after show we're not gonna have a whole lot of in depth except oh my gosh, look at how many times he punched things. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's perfectly fine. I don't think we've had an action movie like that this year that I could think. Oh, Star Trek Beyond. Star Trek Beyond, I I had that with. Still haven't seen it. Oh, it's so great, man. It's it's on my list. So great. And directed by the man responsible for the Fast and Furious movies. That's what I've heard. I've heard heard it's really good. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at MJSmith891. And uh, you can find Ryan on Facebook. At Ryan Buell at facebook.com yep. sexy dot com sexy dot uh, please com don't sexy. go to that website yes, everyone please don't that will end terribly um what else uh you can find the youtube show on youtube and uh this week myself and my Corey are talking about interview with a vampire um you can uh, find everything uh, we do uh. <laughs> sorry i wasn't expecting that <laughs> <laughs> Two sexy lady victims. Ah, ah. <laughs> if that's how Tom, I've never seen the movie, so if that's how Tom Cruise is in the movie, I'm super excited. <laughs> nice. uh, one, one underage Kristen Dunst. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> oh nice. man, uh, derailed completely. Uh, you can find everything we do at thatrealperspective.blogspot.com. That's that R E E L perspective.blogspot.com this week you can find myself over at real world theology uh, on the podcast real world theology 
talking about Birth of a Nation, the 2016 version. I wrote a thing for them about the 1915 version. You can find that over at the website. But this week, the podcast is going up, I'm pretty sure. Um, if not, it's the following week. But yeah, I'm recording it uh, two days from now at the time of our recording this podcast. Mm -hmm. And you should check it out because I think it'll be a really good discussion because that movie has a ton of religious stuff in it. And yeah, uh, you should you should listen to them anyway because they put in solid work and they're really good. Uh, uh, there's It's just really good cultural analysis from a faith-based lens. When are they going to be releasing your episode? I think this week. I don't know the day. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm... If not this week, it'll be when we do the after show, it'll be the week of the after show for okay. sure. Um, yeah, so you should do that because those guys are doing good stuff and uh, I'm going to be there. So you should listen to it. Um, and until next time. Count one, two, three, birdie, birdie. Ah, ah. Are you amused? <laughs> I am. Sorry. Sorry. Did you? you, did you... That out. No, it's fine. I uh, couldn't remember the name of the damn movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, until next time, go watch Hunt for the Welder People. Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs> <laughs>